Welcome to the What's Good Dough podcast and get ready to level up. But before we continue with the show, I want to introduce you to my two show sponsors, Uni Pizza Ovens and Cordo Olive Oil. Let's start with Uni. They are the number one pizza oven company in the world with the best community there is. Because of their ovens, I have made some of the most amazing pizzas. From round pies to squares, I'm able to get to temperatures of up to 900 degrees, allowing me to cook the pizzas of my dreams. If you're looking to grow your pizza business, buying an uni makes sense. My past guest Ryan of Sanctuary Pizza has a mobile catering company powered by uni. These powerful ovens are efficient, lightweight, and can be used almost anywhere. Whether you take pizza seriously like me or want to run a pizza operation like Ryan, uni is the choice for you. Use the link in the show notes and join the uni community. My second show sponsor is Cordo Olive Oil. At first, I didn't believe that olive oil mattered. It wasn't until I got educated and learned about the difference between commodity oil and Cordo's fresh squeezed olive oil that I ditched the supermarket stuff. Today, I only use Cordo olive oil when it comes to making my dough and even doing a post-baked drizzle. Mm. I have even made some amazing pesto with it. Oh my goodness. Cordo's high quality olive oil does really elevate anything it touches. My buddy Chris, who runs a slice of New Jersey, just switched over to Cordo. Not only is he getting quality, but he ended up saving money by switching over too. If you're still unsure of the difference, pizza operators can sign up for a free olive oil tasting. Use the link in the show notes to learn more. Thank you for taking the time to listen to my show sponsors and supporting this show. That's all Justin. That's I all mean, Justin. You just got to commit and do it. Just send it. You have an idea, do it, send it. Don't wait 10 years to do what you want to do now. That was Alex and Justin of Yukon Pizza. And it's your boy, I Drift. And you're listening to the What's Good Dough podcast. Whether it's pizza, business, or life, my guests and I are always talking about ways we can level up. What I love about Alex and Justin's story is how they came together to combine their passion for food to create Yukon Pizza. Their story is unlike any other. Their story involves a 120-year-old heirloom starter, for starters. Uh, These two talk about how Yukon Pizza started off and is currently working at a food incubator, which is actually a really interesting concept for anyone who's looking to start their pizza business or any food business for that matter. And then talking about how they're growing out of that food incubator and moving on to bigger and better things, aka their brick and mortar. And they talk about their build and the financials. And so you really want to stick around to the end to listen to that entire story. This is an amazing episode, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And remember to always ask, what's good, dough? Okay, I have with me today two very special people, Alex and Justin from Yukon Pizza. Welcome to the show. How y'all doing? Good to be here. Doing good, man. Thanks for having us. Cool, cool. I'm excited. Uh, I met uh, Justin in Vegas, tried his pizza, and found out that you know, Yukon pizza is a thing. Uh, and I'm excited to dig a little bit deeper uh, into that and what it's all about. But before we do that, I love to start the show with one question. There is no right or wrong answer. And I'd love to hear from the both of you. What's good, though? 
So for me, uh, because we're Yukon Pizza, what's good dough is my 125-year-old family heirloom sourdough starter. That's uh, the basis of all the good dough that we make. I like it. And just making a solid product day in and day out, using the best uh, ingredients we can get our hands on and just keep making people happy. That's what's good, though. <laughs> Perfect. And by the way, we have a third guest on the show today, uh, in case you hear them, her, him. Um, her lilac, yeah. Her lilac. Like, <laughs> she's a little cutie beagle. Don't worry. Yeah. Don't even worry about it. Uh, that's in case y'all were wondering um, who that was. But yeah, we'll, we'll get you in, lilac. Don't worry. I'll ask you a question. Yeah. What's good, though, with you? <laughs> <laughs> it's like to eat pizza that's what hey i love it um alex you mentioned uh 125 year old heirloom starter yeah what is an heirloom starter so i guess would probably the best way to do this would be kind of give you the first part of the yukon pizza history it's kind of the history in two parts um an heirloom starter for us the start of yukon pizza is that Five generations back in my family on my dad's side, I had a great, great, great grandpa named Gilbert who and went to the Yukon territories during the Klondike Gold Rush at the turn of the 20th century. And he ran a mercantile there, selling goods to mining camps, um, you know, people who needed goods and outfitting stuff. And among that stuff was actually sourdough starters so miners could make bread and biscuits at their camps instead of having to go back to town for goods and provisions. Um, so when we say heirloom, we mean really like over a hundred years old being in the family. Um, it stayed with my great, great, great grandpa as he traveled from the Yukon to Anchorage, Alaska, went to my great, great grandpa's had, uh, down in Seattle, Tacoma area. And from there, it traveled down the, the West coast down to Southern California, where it ended up with my grandparents and eventually my dad. Um, and for all my life, all I known is the sourdough, sourdough pancakes, sourdough bread. That's what I grew up with. Um, so I didn't really realize there was a whole other world of pizza and bread stuff when I kind of got into pizza making on the side, because uh, all I knew was how to work with sourdough. And that's been my only game for so far with the, the pizza stuff. Wow. 125 years. That's a really long time to, to be able to hold on to something that long and pass down generation to generation, right? You know, a lot of people have some generational starters that are 50, 60, 80 years old, and those are great. And for us to have one that's over 100 years old, kind of like Will Grant's up in uh, Washington, you know, we have a kinship there because he's a Pacific Northwest guy like I am. And that's where that's where home is for me. Uh, and for it to, to come from there and to have that sourdough story is like really, really awesome for us to have. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought up Will Grant because I've spoken to him in the past. I've actually had his pizza and he has the 90 plus year starter. And so it's like, it's cool to be able to see this and like, it gives, I guess, our generation today an idea of like, oh, maybe I can pass down my starter. Um, granted, it wasn't in the 1800s, but it's something that can be passed on for years to come. Justin, were you working with sourdough in the past? No, not really. Not at all. I worked with starters, but they weren't like sourdough starters. Yeah. I worked for Wolfgang Puck for a couple of years in the LA Live, you know, across from the Staples Center. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we made our double batches every night, fed it, took care of it. And I met Alex three years ago at the Pizza Expo. We talked about pizza and sourdough. And sure enough, pandemic hit and I was working at Eataly. You know, they kicked us all out, so... I had to find something to do. I was actually making hand sanitizer. He called me. We started doing it. I fell in love with this. It. It one of the best pizzas I've had. And 
we ran with it all through pandemic to now. So it's been, uh, it's been great. I know this isn't like pizza related, but you were making hand sanitizer because like it was, <laughs> can you tell me just a little bit more about that? Okay. So there was like a liquor company called Drake's Organics. My friend was, uh, he was making boozy popsicles, right? So the same little boozy popsicles, we were making hand sanitizer popsicles. So it's kind of, he was doing this during pandemic when everyone was essentially uh-huh. looking for work after getting laid off from different things. And a lot of the gigs around town were bottling hand sanitizer and doing cleaning services and stuff like that. It was like gallons. It was like uh, popsicle sticks and a little machine that makes the popsicles. It was pretty wild. So these people converted factories. And so when I, I found when I called Justin to come work at the house to sell pizzas, he'd come over with it would look like vodka bottles. They're just full of hand sanitizer. Yeah. So we were always sanitized and clean, but it had, <laughs> you know, looks like we just had racks of liquor everywhere. And the down, the down part of that is actually gave us some, some liquor, like a Bloody Mary mix. And then the vodka tastes like hand sanitizer <laughs> and all the popsicles they gave us. And was, we're, we're sanitized from the inside and out, I have to say about that. Wait, so you could actually eat that stuff? It feels like the, that's what the vodka tastes like. Oh, it's, been, it's the same machines that the, the, the same bottling. thing. Yeah. Got so it. Swatched, but it's pretty. <laughs> the early days of pandemic were a wild west, after, yeah. as you can imagine. <laughs> uh, well, it has, you know, I mean, I, when I think of wild west, I think of old school and I think of your starter a little bit. So, like, it, it kind of has a, a match to it. Match me. We're, we're definitely, I call ourselves our West Coast style pizza because we take a lot of things and a lot of influences, but at the end of the day, we're a we're a West Coast style pizza to us, you know, it's Yukon. That's, that's something very special. Uh, just to kind of bring people up to speed, uh, you two came together and then you guys started popping up at these outside events. Is that right? Um, I'll, I'll give you the second part of the history of Yukon now, actually, um, to, to bring it all to the current day. So the way the whole pizza making started for me is that I started doing this in college, essentially, about 15 years ago now. Uh, I started doing pizza parties in my apartment to meet people, bring over, have beer, make a pie in the oven. It was at the time, it wasn't about the pizza. It was about meeting girls, you know? Um, so Makes I was <laughs> doing little pizza parties and graduated college and got into the film business. And, and the film business was great because it afforded me a lot of opportunities to travel and do different TV shows and movies, meeting all kinds of uh, cool people who worked on sets and doing a lot of like food shows. Uh, and so I, I came home from a trip one time after having a really amazing pizza out in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and I was like, I want to make Neapolitan style pizza with my sourdough starter. And how do I do that? And that was 2009, 2010 at that time. I spent a few years, what I call knucklehead dough making, just in my apartment, trying to figure out how to work sourdough into a pizza that I knew what I could do with, uh, make a proper Neapolitan pie out of as much as I could. Um, and then I started doing what I called uh, end of the world parties out in the middle of the, or edges of the desert in Las Vegas here. I'd truck out somewhere, set up my oven, have all my ingredients, a couple bottles of wine. And I'd send out a GPS uh, waypoint to all my friends, but like, show up and you got pizza and wine. And I had friends who just drive up and, you know, I serve them slices and we'd have a couple of glasses of wine out watching a sunset. And this is all concurrently to my film business career. This is all on the side. I was just kind of doing when I had time off. Um, and it, at some point, my brother and I, who was another uh, part of the business, um, we had talked about, like, we do love the pizza thing. We really do like the idea. And there was that kind of way off dream of, like, maybe one day we'll try to do a restaurant. 
but we're working in the film business now. Life's good. Don't have to think about that too much. And then pandemic happens <laughs> and kind of everything went out the window as far as Justin lost his job. My brother and I lost our jobs. We didn't have work for the foreseeable future. All I knew that we could do is make pizzas in our house and give them to friends and family who were in town who needed pizza. So my wife and I, who was another part of the, one of the business, um, we set up in the backyard, um, had a, we turned one of our rooms into a pretty much a kitchen, tiled it, put up all the racks. We had a prep table and a fridge and everything. And uh, we had a little makeshift kitchen. We started slinging pizzas out of every Saturday. Just text on Instagram, like, hey, if you're hungry, come by, get a pie. Donate what you can. Um, and that started, you know, maybe five or 10 friends would come by. And then after a while, we were getting 30 or 40 people coming by every Saturday from people I didn't know who they were. And at that point, a local food curator here in town named Julian Manina kind of sought us out. She was like, Justin and Alex and Cameron need to come talk to me. Um, and she was creating a... It's hard to describe what's called. It's called the Vegas Test Kitchen. It's a incubator chef's uh, concept space that allows for multiple chef concepts to operate and showcase their food and sell it all in the same dining room. Um, and it was a really kind of wild concept at the time. It's almost two years old now. And she's like, I want you to be a part of this. Your pizza is incredible. And we're like, oh, I'm so glad you like it. She goes, oh, I haven't had your pizza yet. But my chef friends have come by and had it. And they said, it's amazing. If they say it's good, you're good enough for me. You're in the restaurant. And that was like, Okay, and then we figured out that there were actually some local chefs here in town that Justin had actually come by and tried the food. And, uh, you know, getting that seal of approval was really like kind of a big moment for me, um, for just a guy who's in the backyard making pies. Uh, so Justin, Cameron, Danny, and I, we trucked all our gear into the, the Vegas Tattoos in the space almost two years ago. And we've been operating there ever since. Um, and in that time, that's allowed us, uh, you know, visibility, building our fan base, but also taking on meetings with, uh, investors and, and developers and that now we're, we're building and constructing our, our brick and mortar space right now. Um, so in the last two and a half years, I went from side gig pizza guy to now having a full-on chef, a team of seven people, um, and opening a restaurant in the next few months. Uh, so Yukon Pizza has a slow build and then a really fast rise in the last few years for us. And I couldn't be more excited and grateful for having Justin on for, you know, He's our guiding light. He's been in the business for almost 20 years, worked for almost every pizza maker that I know. And having him in it as a, on board is like huge. And I can't believe as a, a what was a, just a knucklehead filmmaker from a couple of years ago now, about to have a pizza restaurant that we have everybody in town who's stoked for. Um, so we're, we're like, that's the journey that we've been on. That's what UConn Pizza's been doing. And uh, so now we're on the podcast and doing this kind of thing. And it's like, for me, it's, it's wild. We're building up to the, the bigger and bigger stuff. And so like, I just keep saying gratitude and that's, that's where I stand with a lot of stuff. It's without people, without our pizza eaters, we wouldn't be here. So by the time next pizza expo rolls around, we'll be open. Yeah. Oh, cool. We have a little space, but you know, we can accommodate all the pizza fam and it'll yeah, be nice to buy for sure. Before I asked you like about working at the Vegas test kitchen, like Justin, I'm, I'm curious like you, you seem to have played such an integral role in getting there because of your chef friends. What was some of your like background working in Vegas? Working in Vegas, I my transfer out here from uh, LA. I was at uh, Pizzeria Mozza. Transferred out to Carne Vino. I started at Naked City Pizza as well, helping them out open their second location, the Paradise location. Worked at 800 degrees. I pretty much bounced around a little bit. I was kind of a a shithead back then. Trying to find my way, to be honest, and 
tragedy struck and I got my stuff together and now it's with these guys gave me a better opportunity to be myself digging more to the food I love to do and taking California cuisine and pretty much anything I like I'm gonna throw it on a pizza yesterday we did a cheeseburger pizza I do a Greek hero pizza did a lote street corn pizza I've done a Cuban pizza I've done pretty much anything possible your favorite food one bite with the fork you can eat with a pizza that's what my mentor Justin told me at Wolfgang Puck. It's like we've, we've got a lot of kind of godfathers of pizza in town that you very well know who've been a mentor to both Justin and have taken me on. So Vincent Rotolo, John Arena, Rita, Chris, Chris Decker, you know, Tony Gemignani, all those guys, you know, they're all Vegas dudes. And they Mike Vacney as well. Mike you know. We're super, we're super lucky to have such powerhouses all in one concentrated spot who've all been coming by, giving us advice, giving us guidance, you know, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's it's, it's awesome. the biggest small city. You think Vegas is big, it's small, especially in the restaurant community. So we all try to be there for each other and, you know, feed off each other's energy and do what we can for the pizza, you know, Vegas Pizza Alliance. So those guys are rebellion. Everyone's been so helpful with us and all the support, Gio from Monzu and Old School Pizzerias. Everyone here has been super solid and couldn't ask for a better pizza community. You mentioned something, Justin, that like um, you you got things together after after tragedy stuck. Like, what? Do you mind going a little bit deeper on that? And, and four years ago, going on August tenth, my mom passed away from brain cancer, and that kind of just threw me through the ringer, pretty much. And pretty much wanted to, you know, end myself. Honestly, just, that was it. Felt like my fault, you know. I was out of control. You fall into some addictions, and I got out of it. Gotta be a better person. I went to a farm actually. It's no longer there no more. It was called Desert Bloom Eco Farm. It was a farm pretty much like microgreens and stuff for chefs. We'd harvest it, bring it over to the chefs, deliver it. It was like an hour away from Vegas. When I came back, I just hit the ground running. You know, I built barrels with my you know, my dad and stuff and found them and they believed in me and the real per you know, saw right through it. You know, I bit through some stuff and we just hit the ground running and I'm not looking back on that. Everything's all positive and moving forward. Amazing. Yeah, sometimes we need that, like, and I'm sorry to hear about your mother. That's a tragedy. Um, but yeah, definitely having that grounding experience kind of lets you know what's important in life and, and how to move forward. Of course. So let's go back to the Vegas test kitchen now that you all are settled in there. Like, I heard about the concept. I, I saw Chris Decker posting about it a lot. And he made me wish I was in Vegas because like you could just get a bunch of these different, like, would you say like hip food? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a place that allows both amateur chefs and professional chefs come to try out concept ideas. And what's cool is that once a week, maybe we'll actually rotate in out a pop-up that happens only for one day. Some of chefs stay on for a few months. We've been on for almost two years. But everyone pays into as a commissary space, but then is allowed to essentially to to showcase what they're, they're thinking about to do for a menu or a pop up, or if they're trying to go into a whole on brick and mortar space, or they want to do a tasting menu for investors, they come to the Vegas Test Kitchen and put that on. Um, so we've, Justin's been a part of a lot of pop ups because he's a trained and talented chef, so he'll jump in on the line with these guys who are coming to the Test Kitchen for the first time. Um, so we get to be a part of. Get to be a part of a lot of different cuisines and see how things are put together, but also work with a ton of different chefs and teams. Um, and that really allows us to hone our 
our own business and operational skills as we go into our own space in the next couple months. Um, I'm not, you know, my brother and I, we don't have a restaurant touring background. We're, we're film guys. We ran film sets. Justin's a chef and restaurant tour. So with our two skill sets, we are, we're taking that, all that experience and knowledge. And then what we were banking on with the biggest test kitchen, we have just an incredible amount of testing and operations that we've already put through the paces without having to have the risk of a whole brand new spot to work out of. Right. So are you, you, you said you're helping out other concepts, like for example, Justin, you're helping out the sushi guy if they need help. Is that how it works? No, no, he, I'll help him run food, you know, every now and again, but some of the chefs that come in, they never, they're shorthand. I'll jump in the line and help them, you know, whatever they need, you know, help prep some stuff real fast, you know, whatever I could do to make their, their experience at Vegas test kitchen <clears throat> more smooth for service, just gliding through no problems. Like I know all the equipment that works well and what doesn't, what oven to use, what not to use, <laughs> you know, it's give or take. It's, it's a good time. It's a very collaborative place then for the it's, most part. It's a very collaborative dynamic. There's a, there's always a lot of food being put down for family meal because there's four or five different people sh- chefing it up. So sitting down at the counter near the kitchen can be a little dangerous for your waistline if you're there for more than a few hours. Um, the Vegas Test Kitchen 15 is definitely a very real club you put on. Right. <laughs> Especially with Mama. She doesn't have to feed like an elementary school of people. Yeah. Next time in your town, have you come by? Yes, for sure. I mean, I am intrigued by the idea of an incubator because I've heard of like tech startup incubators here in the Silicon Valley where they'll like build things. They'll even like live in certain places just so that they can code all day. And like, I don't know if one exists here, um, but are there any things to look out for if, you know, deciding to work at a location like that. The thing is like, if you have a multiple concept vending, everyone thinks you make the same thing. You'll run a pizza with a Yukon shirt on. Like where's my sushi or where's my you know my bond mirror where's this at? You're not it's hard to say like, oh well, you know, that's a separate vendor. He'll get that to you and he's and it, it's, it's ready. A, it takes a little work for to sometimes explain the concept to guests, but once people get it, they, they they clue on pretty fast. The biggest thing for chefs coming in is it's working in a space with isolated, separate concepts. You know, everyone, you're in a kitchen, you're used to working for one team, one chef. You're all, you're all in fluid, dynamic motion. In our kitchen, everybody has a single station. You're working for yourself. Um, it's kind of a cool concept because it allows a dynamic in a kitchen where everyone respects each other even 10 times more because everyone's a professional. Everyone is there to do their job. And they want to make the greatest food they can. And we only have maybe four burners per chef and they only have a half a deli case they can work out of, but everyone makes it work because we're all squeezing their little like a submarine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're in the back of the back of the house on a prep table running pizzas outside of the alley where a wood fire oven is. So we're a little out of the chaos, but for new chefs who come in, it can be a little overwhelming because they're dealing with, you know, three or four different other people whizzing by doing their own stuff while you're doing your own thing kind of on your own station. How are you educating the customers? Like, do they do they come to you, uh, to your station, or do you come to them? He was mentioning check on tables. I go. On t- tables. I'll run pizzas as well. I'll go to tables, talk to everyone. You know, give them the whole the deal about oh, the taste special. Doing this or how do you like everything? Just make sure everyone's comfortable and give them like a home feeling. Oh, the chefs are coming out to talk to me. That's a big thing for 
frisbee our guests. The chef came to my table, checked on us, asked how we were doing, made you know, a small conversation, and hopefully I made their day or other chefs that do that makes their day. Got it. What is, and maybe last question on this, but like, what is rent like um, over there? Do they charge you all a percentage? How does that all work? So it's a, it's a flat monthly rent and then a, like a 1% on whatever sales we make. But the rent that we pay is significantly lower than any commissary space you can find on Las Vegas Valley. So it makes it very, very enticing because our overhead right now is extraordinarily low. And that allows the chefs to make at least a little money on the food they bring in. Because sometimes if you're only there for a week or two, it's kind of a high labor, high cost of goods cost to get into it. You don't sell very well. Um, So having a very low rent and a very small percentage of sales allows, allows chefs and concepts like us to operate and put a little money in the bank while we're trying to get our brick and mortar going. Yeah. That's cool. And so, yeah, you are opening this brick and mortar. I'm, I'm guessing because you've outgrown the space yourself. Yeah, we always had goals to to be in our own brick and mortar. Justin and Cameron and my wife and I, we've, we've talked a lot for the years, our, our dream to have our own restaurant, to, to allow Chef to have a menu, a full menu that you can do apps and starters and entrees out of our wood fire oven along with our pizzas. And um, we didn't know how that was going to take shape until we met a developer last year that that saw our vision and uh, believed in it really, really a lot and helped us find a space that's in a great part of the neighborhood in town. Um, and having the brick and mortar going forward is going to be huge because for the last two years at the test kitchen, I've been outside in the alley making pizzas. We have our wood fire oven outside, which is fine from about October to April. Mm. When we hit May through September, now we're that's 105 degrees or more outside every day. We're I mean, today's a cool day, it's only 101. This weekend, um, Saturday, it'll be 110. So, you can imagine that as much as I love making pizzas after doing it two years outside, four days a week, I'm very much ready to be inside a brick and mortar space with air conditioning and a much larger oven. Um, so that's been kind of the goal, especially of just you know, shortening everything that we do because right now, the way we it's a long walk for everything. We love the cast test kitchen, um, but we definitely are ready to go out on our own, especially having chef now. He's we're gonna do it. We're gonna do a two week tasting with the menu that we plan on opening with uh, in August. So we're gonna try to pump up uh, some advertising for that for people to come and try out all the cool things he's got on the menu. So the last week of August, first week of September. Can you give us a uh, yeah example? Yeah, give us example. a sample menu. So we do a burrata salad, heirloom tomatoes, pesto. Wood fired bread, but it kind of like a pizza side one. I thought Zatar on it. When do calamari? I'm gonna do like a Yukon Philly style sandwich. I'm gonna do a roasted chicken dinner, maybe some short ribs. Who knows? Steak frites, steak frites, uh, cauliflower wings, uh, tempura, green beans, spicy mayo. I'm just trying to go out more than a normal pizzeria does, kind of go all out with it and do fish dishes out of the oven. Hopefully, soon, you know, not. The tasting menu, but keep the food costs low. We're gonna do um, the app starters, lunch, dinner, brunch, and pizzas, and see what your whole ticket average would be. To see your pizzas, our food, all on the same table together. I think that'd be really nice to get everyone the whole. You're not looking to put steak frites on a pizza. That's a no, whole separate that's thing. That's actually the dish itself. Got it. Yeah, the idea is to kind of showcase the a full menu that we can actually do. Because right now at the test kitchen, we're solely focused on pizzas. That's all we sell. We don't make money on beverage sales or alcohol sales. We don't sell salads or sandwiches. 
who just do pizzas. And each concept that comes in kind of has an agreement that they only sell a certain few things so you don't step on other toes of people who are selling similar items. Um, so we don't, we don't really tread any other waters right now, but we have always had plans for having a bigger menu where if you do come to sit down at our bar, sit down at a table, we would actually have a nice little dining experience with a, an elevated touch that Justin has put in a little pizzeria shop. You know, we're, we're going to have an amazing little kitchen that's going to be pumping out some awesome food. I love that idea. Um, I'm also wondering too, like with labor and food costs going up, um, I assumed, and I'm obviously not in the business like that, but like, I assumed the trend was that like, simplify the menu more and have less things. But are you, are you seeing differently? With our patterns and our customers, um, pizza making is almost kind of, it's, it's in that same world of Mexican food. The base ingredients makes a lot of different styles of pizza. So our prep list is actually not as extensive as it looks for the style of menu that we have. Um, but we also rotate things in out pretty seasonally. We only have a few specials at a time. Otherwise, it's the traditional pizza pie, you know, pizzas that we make. Um, we also have noticed that our customers love, 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 love what we do with our wild specials. The whole kind of Yukon twist has been that it's an amazing sourdough base that we start with. But from there, we can create so many amazing elevated traditional style pizzas, but also the, the wild, wacky ones. Yeah, like the surf's up. The, it's our spam, spam masubi pizza. Ooh. Do you put rice? Do you put rice on there? The Korean crispy rice rolls. I crunch them up and make furikake out of it. Oh. <laughs> make a spicy mayo. We use eel sauce. Oh, I want that so badly. I, I'm trying to figure out how to incorporate rice on pizza. It's like rice is like my favorite food next to pizza, or it's it's not like my favorite food to eat by itself, but I feel like it's just essential in most of my meals. And to have my favorite food with my most essential food uh, would be a dream come true. Um, all I've been guilty of just eating pizza and then having a side of rice with it sometimes, depending right. if there's like two carbs too on many carbs, baby. Let's go all day. <laughs> Me and my girlfriend, we cook a lot of Asian food at home. Where does all the inspiration come from? Growing up in LA, too. You know, I love Chinatown. I love little Tokyo, Koreatown. All that. I just, I just love it. So you just find places that you like to eat and say, how do I translate that onto a pizza? Yeah, I can make like a, you know, Korean fried chicken pizza. I like to make sandwiches as well with them. And whatever I like to see, I'll take a chicken dish and make it into a pizza. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. But at least I tried. I'm glad you said that. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Like, how do you all determine how something works? Is there like a system you two follow? Is there a conversation, a criteria? What does that look like? We are open to everyone with their own voice and opinion. Yeah, we do try to treat the company like a, a co-op. Um, I really believe in, in everybody being equal on our team. So there's a lot of R&D that happens in the back of house at UConn. Everyone has ideas for pizzas. And I encourage everyone to keep testing them out whenever they have a chance. So what we don't have an official rubric or system, but what happens is generally someone has an idea for a pizza. They'll bring the stuff in. They'll work in the back with Justin to kind of build the pie. And we'll just we'll make with their, their ideas and fire it off and taste it. And then we'll have as many people as we can try out the slices and give notes, give ideas and make those adjustments and try out the, you know, the second version of the pie. Um, and then from there, it's, it's either it's a kind of a sign off on version two, if that works out well enough, or we keep on working and refining it. Some pizzas take a few weeks or months to kind of dial in. Some pizzas we nail almost on the first try. It's, it's a really collaborative effort. 
I rely on, you know, we, Justin's our, our guiding light and our voice of, of knowledge, especially in, in a lot of culinary stuff where he has these twists on, on all the things we can do to add that little extra kick that makes it a, a mouthful of like awesome flavor. And it's like so good. It's, it's really fun to watch. Justin, if someone brings you a pizza and like the first time it's just okay, the second time they didn't really nail it and maybe they're not nailing it. How do you say, have you said no before? I've said no, I'm not afraid to. I mean, there's no, no wrong way of saying no. Just be nice about it. Like, hey, you know, it's not going to work out. Let's go back and revisit it. Maybe again. If this, the idea is shattered, it's shattered. Mm. It's a what dead end. It's a dead end. What typically isn't working out usually if in the past? It's balance. It's something that's overly sweet. It's not, you know, the acidity, all the right stuff. You, all your elements of your, your dish does not work out. Justin and I have a lot of conversations about less is more, simplicity and all yes. the things that we do. Yeah. If so you overthink with, it, it's not going to come out right. Right. What is, I guess, what is the Yukon style? Like other than the sourdough, which is like, it seems like that's essential. Like, is there a way to describe your pizza in one sentence? Uh, kind of like an elevator pitch? That's a really good question because Yukon pizza at its core is about the sourdough, you know, crust that we use. Um, initially, when I really did farts, I'm going to, I'll jump back to the, the one liner for you, but I do want to preface it with that when I initially started this, my goal was to be like as authentic Neapolitan style as I could get. And I tried that for a few years and I kind of got there where, where I could with sourdough. But when I started making more pizzas for my friends and for customers and dialing in the overall style of the dough that I was making, I really pulled back from the Neapolitan purity of, of what I was doing with our dough. Um, I kind of leaned a little bit into some New York style dough making, a little bit into some other styles of like bread baking stuff. And I started pulling from different areas to create a kind of a unique, what I, you know, they call the Yukon West Coast pizza. Um, and for us, that is, it's a wholly unique crust in order to enjoy a wholly unique style of toppings on, um, whether that be a traditional margarita all the way to our, you know, cheeseburger pizza. You're going to find that no matter what, you're going to have a, a vehicle of that is both perfectly matched with the toppings, but also stands out on its own. Um, our, one of our biggest compliments that we get almost on a daily basis is someone pulled us over and like, hey, we love the pizza. And, you know, I, normally we don't eat the crusts, but they have an empty plate and they eat beans, all the crusts. And that's our biggest, that's our biggest compliment is like, you know, kids will eat all the crusts and like. When crust used to be a thing that you ate up to and you like had a bite up and then you were done because you don't want to eat all that dough. Now we, we have empty plate clubs like every day. It's empty plate clubs. Empty plate clubs. <laughs> yeah. What is the, what is the uh, goal for your crust? It's a, it's a light golden brown. It's crunchy. <laughs> it's light and it is soft. It's, it's definitely got that cloud like pillowiness on the inside. Um, mm but also has a firm exterior. It's a really special like dough. I know you had Ethan Spicer on a few weeks ago. He had a Las Vegas guy and his natural 11 sourdough pizza, this Konota style. I met him in a pizza group. He lives right down the street from me, actually. Oh, nice. Are you, are you on Dough Addicts? Yes. I mean, he's posting there like almost every day and I'm just like, holy shit, how do you make this? He's a good dude. Yeah, he is. Hey, hey, Pizza Pal. I just want to say thank you for listening to the show so far and thank you for making it all the way here. Before we get on to the end of the show, I want to remind you all 
to please leave a rating on the podcast. You could do it right now. Uh, just go ahead and click five stars if you're listening on Spotify or Apple. It will greatly help the show. I appreciate you so much. And if you're looking to buy an uni or a second uni, the affiliate link helps the show so, so much. So please use that anytime you're considering a new oven. All right. Enjoy the rest of the show. Let's talk about the brick and mortar. And then let me ask you all my last two questions. What, uh, when is, when are you all planning to open? You said. We don't have an official date yet because we don't want to say, because we don't have a, the construction and permitting takes a lot of time. We are aiming and gunning for October. Oh. Now, you know how restaurant openings can be. It might get delayed another month or two beyond that. But with the process and everything going on right now, fingers crossed, we're, we're hoping October sometime. Um, but we really can't be more any specific than that. What's the hardest thing about opening up your own brick and mortar? And like a lot of people are like opening a brick and mortar and taking over an existing space, but you all are doing your own build out. Um, so I imagine that's hard too. I'm sure Justin, he's opened a lot of restaurants. This is my brother and I's first one. Um, I'd love to hear from both of you then. For us, we got lucky with our developer deal for the space so that they're actually, they're paying for the build out um, so that they're on, they're doing the construction for us. We did a design and, you know, a, a layout of what we wanted. And they took those plans and they, and they're building from the ground up uh, pretty much a custom restaurant for us. Wow. Um, is a really nice deal, but we're also, you know, there's other things that go into the negotiation, at least that, that are part of that. Um, so that was a really big hurdle when we first kind of got the idea that we wanted to do a restaurant. Is like, how do we get into a space, either an existing one, or we have to build from scratch? Because the idea was to always have a, a wood-fired oven, which means you need to find one that has one already inside, or you have to build out a space where you have to break out a wall or a window to put it inside because it's six feet wide and, you know, six feet tall. Uh, so that was another consideration of like, wherever we go, we, we got to figure out how to put a wood fired oven in. And, and there's a running a business is, is so much on the back end and, and behind the shadows that you don't see my brother and my wife do so much of the bureaucracy stuff, the paperwork, the permitting, the emails. Um, I'm a part of that as well, but it's, 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 uh, you know, 40% of our time is spent in an office and the other percent of the time is at the, the test kitchen working. And but the hardest part of the, about this whole thing is it's probably you don't realize how much of a 24 seven job it can be. Um, and that's kind of, you know, the, the, the burden that we took on knowingly, we knew that this is going to be a hard and a long journey to get to opening. But what we've done and really strived for is that we try to give ourselves each a day off once a week. Like mm. we try to we try to make a hard goal that everyone gets at least Monday or Tuesday off completely unplugged. Don't have to deal with work. Um, and I think that's allowed us to stay as fresh as we can while we, while we work at our kitchen four days a week, prepping one of the days and dealing with the business and dealing with the build out by forcing each of us to, to essentially take a day off. Even if it's only one day, it's not the most, but if we try that allows us to have that, that break. And that's really important for us to, to have everyone have a, even a mild sense of work-life balance while we try to open a pizzeria. Um, as long as we maintain a little bit of that, that's, that's huge for me. But Justin, I mean, you've been through so many of these. I'm sure you have. 
stories. Helping other people's dreams fun and you know, it's all excited up in a new place, you get to cook all the food, you get to eat it all, you have to test it. Now it's like, shit, this is our place. This is what we do what we want to do and do the food we want to do. Our own guidelines of how we're gonna do things and yeah, it's hard opening a restaurant. I know you had Alex Coons on from Purgatory and Hot Tongue. You know, it's hard opening right now, but I think we could do it with a good uh, support. I know employees are hard to find, but we have a solid team. I'm adding two more people on that are personal friends of mine that I call him my son. He looks just like me, but a 23-year-old version, and I'm 37. So he's like the young, young chef. The young chef, you know. And, <laughs> and they get another buddy there of mine and Probably staffing, if it wasn't, if we didn't have the great team we had, it was probably hard to find people. Mm-hmm. I worked at Astro's Kitchen prior to this as well. And, uh, James Clear. James Trees. Trees. You know, James Trees. Sorry. No, no, good. You know, I watched at least 30 people walk in and out of that door. You know, it's just, no one wants to stay. No one wants to put the work in. I love Astro's Kitchen, and that's one of the hardest jobs I've worked. I call it the four corners of death. It's a small box and you just pump out food all day. It's, oh my God. It's hot. It's muggy. It's you're getting there just doing it. And it, it really brings out the best in you to move That's forward cool. with the knowledge that he's given me. And I get to provide it to my team, myself, and just go day by day with that. You know? Yeah. Cause we're really building this to be a long-term thing. We really want to be in it for, to be a family pizzeria for our neighborhood for as many years as possible. So with everything that we've, planned and and built it's always been a long-term goals in mind we want to be here for 10 plus years i don't want to be the flash in the pan restaurant that comes in with a hot weird concept opens up for a year and then shuts down and moves on i mean it's three out of the four owners are related to my brother my wife me and justin that's that's half the, the companies for the owners and then it's my my wife's sister and her sister's best friend works for us and then it's justin's partner jamie works for us so it's family it's, it's eight people that are all really closely tied together. We've been in the fires in the trenches for two years, working through everything. And it's a well-oiled machine, but we, we really believe in taking care of our people. And that's why we've had 0% turnover since we've opened. No one's left. We don't have anything that happens like that because everyone loves the project we're doing, believes in what we're doing, and we treat them with respect. We pay them well. We make sure they know they're part of the team. They collaborate. And that's really important for us as owners and, you know, pizza makers is to have the next generation of people working with us come up and eventually take over for us. Um, we have a couple 23, 24 year olds on our team and they are probably better than a lot of pizza makers in town already. Like they just, they're so, so talented and they're so young and it's so cool to see, you know, their, their involvement and their passion grow for pizza making just beyond like having a job to make money. I mean, they come in happy. Hell yeah, we're going to make pizza today. Hey, I want to do this. I want to try that. Hey, let's go. Send it. I mean, you know it's, what I mean? Just send it. You just got to send it, brother. And every day with a smile on their face, they leave their bullshit at the door. But we all have to, right? Yep. Yeah. And you go in and you just make pizza. We have fun with your family and you put out the best pizza possible. I call that a good day. Shit. I mean, so many key takeaways from there. Everyone is... I don't know if the word complaining is the right word, but like everyone is talking about how hard it is to get employees. I myself run a nonprofit and I am having a hard time as well, but I also don't 
put as much energy in the nonprofit as I used to anymore. But like, just, I feel like I'm going to take a lot of lessons from this conversation. It's like build a family culture, do what you love, inspire one another to do their best. And maybe you'll get people to come into the door, but that's definitely how you get them to stay. Of course. I mean, every family argues, you know, bickers, you'll have a day, but then at that shift, you're going to hug it out. Have a beer. And we don't do. have that that often, which is crazy. No, we don't. We're trying to encourage a life where it's, it's you enjoy coming to your job to make pizza, but also we're working so hard to have a, a place where you can make enough money in your 30 or so hours a week that you still have days off to go do your thing, go travel, go do stuff. Like go that. eat pizza. Go, go eat pizza somewhere yeah. else. You know, getting them to come in the door to stay there is all about, um, it's treating, it's just, you know, how would you want to be treated when you walk in the door somewhere to work? Um, and we're, we're really grateful for our team and for how much people believe in us outside of our team. Um, that's, you know, a huge reason why I think we're still here going strong and having the success we are. Hell yeah. Are you, um, before I ask my next two questions and let me just comment on that first. It, it sounds like you guys are, uh, you guys are building this amazing business so far and many, many congratulations to y'all. Thank you, brother. Are you comfortable like sharing how you've, funded and kind of made this deal on on the brick and mortar um i can see if it's tmi you don't have to tell us but i can see how it'd be a great like i can give uh, you a kind of overview of what we did sure 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 yeah creative financing is like uh of very much of an, an interest of mine and other people who are looking to start and we're we're doing ours in a very basic way so our lease negotiation with the developer went back and forth for a couple of months, but initially, so the the deal kind of fell into place is that he's paying for a complete build out, about four hundred thousand dollars worth. Um, and what that in turn means, we uh, were on the hook for FF&E, which is our furniture, fixture, and equipment, and we also had to sign a ten year lease. Um, so in that ten years, he'll get his money back on us on the build out. But also, um, we're on the, we have to pay for the equipment, the lighting, the tables, the chairs, all the little things that go in the restaurant. So that allowed us to really dial in our budget, knowing that what we had to spend on. We kind of drew together a bunch of numbers. And what we kind of looked at was we had to hit a goal of about $100,000 or so to do our FFNE plus a couple of operations things. So jumped back and forth, talked to our lawyer a little bit. And after some consultation, we decided to go with the friends and family funding round. So we built a pitch deck about the business, um, did a whole, you know, plans, future projections. And then we just shopped it around to family members and friends who had expressed interest about being investors in the company at some point. Um, we avoid avoided going the investor route and so instead went for private funding to start with because with going investors, first of all, you're giving away part of your company. You're giving away percentages or ownership stakes. Um, and our goal is to keep that with us for as much as possible while we can. Um, we've been working really hard to build this up ourselves and slicing up stuff right now is not really our goal. Um, so, and also with investors, you have to also do a whole another set of filing with the SEC and banks and all this stuff. It's a lot of paperwork that it takes on. Uh, and we decided that what we need to do is just find private money uh, or, you know, funding essentially. And so we, you know, talking to parents, uncles, friends, and like stuff like that is, is in the people who have been down this road before, maybe on their own or have seen friends do it or have done it already in the past. So 
so we um, pitched, you know, essentially 10 people and looking for shares of, or funding of $10,000 each from 10 different some groups. And so we've raised about 70 of that, that 100,000 gold that we're after. And that's allowed us to get where we are now. We still have, you know, a significant amount of stuff to, to buy. That's money sitting in the bank, waiting for equipment to be bought and other things to go through. So it's may look like our bank account's huge right now, but it's just all about to get spent in the next month or so. Um, and so that's where our funding is coming from right now is, is those private uh, friends and family rounds. Um, and then from there, we'll be going to a bank probably for a second, like smaller loan to, to set up operations costs, as well as just kind of getting the door open money. Um, and that's kind of what we're doing. It's super simple. Like that's it's direct one-to-one with the owners and our, and our funders. Uh, we have, you know, a lawyer does up the contract and all that stuff. And then they have a payment plan and they get their money back within three or four years with a percentage. And that's it. It's a super straightforward deal. It's like, it's a very good government CD essentially. Um, and that's kind of how we started off with it. And that's been the way of doing it so far. And that's not to say in the future that for a second location or another concept, if we have a partner who comes in or an investor who comes in and is like, Hey, I've got a million dollars. I want to give to you guys to do this concept. Can I have half the company or whatever that then we'll talk to them for sure. Like that's a whole different game, but we want to do Yukon pizza in this space first on our own. We want to keep it yeah. with just us. We put our, I mean, when they say skin in the game, I've got skin, blood, organs, toes, teeth, everything <laughs> into there. We're all in yeah. because we, we love our product. We love our, our customers. We love what we do. Um, and, to be able to do it every day and make pizza. Like even the worst day making pizza is better than sitting in an office staring at an Excel spreadsheet. Rub it in. No, yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, you see. Hey, I do Excel spreadsheets still too. I mean, it's, <laughs> you too. There's, there's I don't even look at Excel spreadsheets for my work, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> but that's, wow. that's, that's how we've been doing it right now. So it's pretty simple, but it's also, you know, the risks are somewhat alleviated versus having an investor on. There's different risks, obviously, but you know, we have a lot of, of friends and family who really believe and have been watching this journey because I've, you know, I've been doing this since I was probably about 25, so 10, 12 years now. And that's been, you know, but my passion on the side. And I've had some people see that. And Justin started coming on board three or four years ago. And he saw what we were doing. And like when Justin was like, oh, I want to be part of UConn, I was like, you've been in with Nancy Silverton and Wolfgang Puck and even with James Trees in here in town. You've been working for all these other people. And why do you want to come? be with us but it's that thing of i believed in justin holy i believed in justin's talent and his skills and his personality of being an awesome cool guy but and i knew that if we, we brought him into the fold that we would have a successful business um we i couldn't be i wouldn't be here without justin's chef guiding like his name carries a lot of weight in town he's been with everybody people have seen the journey that he's gone through and know that what we're doing is is we're all in. It's authentic, and and we're excited for the future. Wow! And Justin, what did you see in UConn that made you want to to jump? I mean, you know, it, I'm sure it was like you were working in restaurants your whole life, and so this was a natural fit for you. But like, you could have gotten a job anywhere. Why UConn? I could have. I mean, number one, Alex is a great guy. I used to bug the shit out of him about working with him and starting to do this, open a restaurant. Yeah, he's like, oh, I don't know, man. Uh, I was so too we, scared. We just see, uh, you know, we did a couple of events with Vince, and uh, I was like, "Shit, man, I really like these guys. I like this family a lot." And 
feels like you work for other people, it's, it's harder to, to do it, like express yourself and be the person you want to be or do the food you want to do without constant no. Or they take it, switch it up and just make it their own and you give them no credit. With them where it's all open arms. They accepted me as, you know, the adopted brother of the family here. And, and I feel at home at Yukon Pizza and, I, you know, I'm in it for the long haul. And, yeah, you want to. You know, I'm going to ask for better people. And thank you, Lila. I appreciate it. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I I am inspired. Um, I'm really looking forward to the journey. And I can't wait to see what's to come. Um, what is my final two questions? What is one mistake in pizza, business, or life that people can avoid? Uh, I'm going to say it's slower is faster. Don't rush things. Uh, Yukon is built on what we call slow boating things. I took a long time to get into learning how to make my pizza. I took my time learning how to build the business. Took my time finding the right people, finding the right people to believe in our restaurant dream. Is slower is faster. Um, oftentimes in restaurants, especially, it's like ideas. Let's go. Let's do this thing. Let's get the. It's, it's rush, rush, rush. Move forward, move forward, move forward. Because it's it's the ideas. You know, when you're open, you're making money. All this and very good. That's that is business, but. You know, for us coming at it from a different angle of not having done this before, especially for me and my brother and my wife, uh, slower is faster for us. We took our time. We, we learned. We took a lot of advice. You know, my wife used to work for the county, so she had government experience, you know, working with offices for permitting and stuff like that. And it was just always patience. You probably have a better. Just don't cut corners. Don't. I hate to say that, but don't bullshit your product. Mm. Don't cut corners. Don't just do it to do it. That's probably the best thing I'd probably tell you. Cool. I love it. Both uh, simple and easy to remember and holds a lot of weight. Thank you very much for that advice. What is uh, the final message that you all want to leave the audience with? Um, do you want to go first? Or want me to go first? <laughs> go first. Uh, for me, I guess the final message would be, is, as I think I said earlier, is that um, gratitude goes a long way, uh, and we we try to express it every day to, to our friends and our family that have helped us here. Um, saying thank you, you know, it's amazing what that little thing of when someone gives you a piece of advice and it's just like thank you for helping us. As someone who's had problems with patience and, and anxiety and stuff, and to be grateful and have gratitude and being open to that's a really humbling thing. And that's, I think it's makes you a better chef, a better person, a better restaurant tour. Might as just have fun and make pizza and love what you do and love others. You can go a long way with that and just send it. That's all you gotta do. Just send it, have fun and just do it. Send it. Just send it. I love that. What does that mean to you both? Just send it. What is, cause I, I think I get Justin. it. But I mean, you just gotta commit and do it. Just send it. You have an idea, do it, send it. Just, you gotta respect the set. You just gotta go and do what you love and just just send it. Just go for it. You never know until you if you don't send it, you never know what's gonna happen. When I uh when I was doing my roadside pop-ups three or four years ago, Vincent Rotolo from Good Pie came out and found me. That's how he discovered me. And uh on the very first day we met, talked to him what I was doing, and his last piece of advice with me was don't wait ten years to do what you want to do now. He's like, I waited, I worked for someone else for ten years doing their businesses, and then I realized I, I, I wasted 10 years not doing what I wanted to do. 
And I was like, cool, man. And I took that advice and I ran with it. And I saw him, you know, a few months ago and I told him, I was like, hey, man, I don't have to remember that, but I think about that every day. And he goes, no one ever listens to him on my advice. I'm so glad you did. <laughs> and like, it, it meant a lot because like, he was right. You know, don't, there's, especially with how the world is feeling right now, there's no time to waste on doing what you want to do. Yeah. Damn. Solid advice. If, if any, if I got anything from you both is just go for it. Um, and figure it out along the way, as always. That's it. That's it. Thank you so, so much, Alex, Justin, Justin, Alex. You all were great guests. Um, and uh, yeah, I uh, I can't wait to see Yukon Pizza open up in its full capacity. And, and I hope to eat there with you all one day. You will. Thank you so much, Andrew. Alex, Justin, thank you so, so much for being on the show. I appreciate you both for really providing that deep dive into your business. And I truly wish you all over there at Yukon Pizza all the success in the world. I can't wait to see your new spot and I can't wait to see your pizza journey continue. To you, the listener, you already know, please make sure to follow Yukon Pizza. They're going to be linked. Their IG is going to be linked in the show notes. Please check them out and slide into their DM and let them know what's good dough. If you haven't signed up already for Pizzaioli Pop-Up, please make sure to do so. You only have so much time left to run your pop-up and have all of those funds go to food insecurity through Slice Out Hunger. I appreciate you for doing that and checking it out. Link will be in the show notes. Link will be in the show notes if you want to learn more. And the world appreciates you for doing for making pizza and fighting food insecurity. All right. I appreciate you. I love you. Till next time. Peace.